Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with another Wednesday Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back once again to talk all things NXT and AEW. You have AEW rolling on to Revolution in just a couple of weeks while NXT is dealing with the fallout from NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day this past Sunday. That means, yes, this Getting Over Wrestling podcast is going to be packed, loaded, filled to the brim with takes. Yes, we have tons of takes today on NXT and AEW, everything that's going on with both brands. A lot of positive for both, a little negative for both. It is a nice, strong, solid, mixed bag today as we venture into this world of professional wrestling. A little business to take care of before we get going. We're like the mullet of pro wrestling podcast. Business in the front, a lot of party in the back. So a couple things here. Number one, Head on over to Twitter. Give us a follow at Getting Overcast. If you don't have a Twitter account, make a Twitter account. Then follow us at Getting Overcast. I want you guys DMing me, sending me tweets about shows, uh, contributing to our pre and post show polls, and just talking about wrestling all week. I want that interaction. I hope you guys get involved in that interaction as well. So please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, hit up Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this show. Help us raise our profile and grow on Apple Podcasts and any other platform. I promote Apple Podcasts every week. That is the number one podcast platform. But if you listen somewhere else and they take reviews as well, please drop five stars. Send us a screenshot. Let me know what you you know where you reviewed. Let, let me know what you said. I'm kind of curious to see how we're doing elsewhere, but Apple is the biggest platform. So even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, if you have an iPhone or you have iTunes on your computer, just open it up. Go type out a quick review, then never open it again. That's all I'm requesting for you. Even if you listen somewhere else, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop that five-star rating and review. And as I have been all week, I do want to give a very special shout out to my friends over at Proper Cloth. They make a ton of different men's clothing, uh, customizable stuff that you can order online. It's really, really nice. I personally have been using them for their face masks. You know, the pandemic's still going on, even when everyone gets the vaccine, which I hope for everyone is sooner than later here in the United States, you're still going to need to wear face masks for a long period of time. And they are no shill, just being completely honest, my favorite cloth face masks that I have purchased and used uh, since the beginning of this pandemic. You get can get a three-pack, I think it's like 50 bucks. They're triple layered, super comfortable. I wear them every single time I go out. Uh, as I said, I'm always honest on this pod. I never keep anything from you. I bought masks from them. They also ended up sending me some because they knew how big of a fan I was. So I did want to give them a shout out, appreciation for that, but also telling you guys about a product I really love. So propercloth.com, hit them up, grab some of those face masks. And hey, folks, if you have a business, Uh, and you want to advertise on the Getting Over Professional Wrestling Podcast, hit up the Silver King, please. You can send me an email at gettingoverpod. You can also tweet us at gettingovercast or slide into our DMs. I would love to promote your product, of course, for a fee, because it is all about the money. It's also all about 
stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Being marks for the Silver King and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And that's why I ask you to follow us on Twitter and to drop those five-star reviews. So please go ahead and do that. But with all of that out of the way, the business is gone. It's time for the party to pick up. We're going to roll into Wednesday night wrestling. And I'm going to start with NXT, where the big storyline coming out of Vengeance Day was Adam Cole turning, not just on Finn Balor, but on Kyle O'Reilly, member of the Undisputed Era. So NXT opened Wednesday, and O'Reilly was emotional. He was devastated that Cole turned at TakeOver, saying Undisputed Era is supposed to be special. So he's willing to hear Cole out rather than just go assume he's totally a bad guy, basically. Roderick Strong said they're friends. Cole was probably emotional in the moment and definitely regrets it. He's sure of that. O'Reilly called Cole out again, and instead Finn Balor came out saying he gets Cole first. He started arguing with Strong. Then all of a sudden Pete Dunne, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Burch attacked, and all three men began battling with the others. Uh, Balor began selling an injured ankle that they never really went back to. So I don't really know why he was doing that. But basically for later in the show, William Regal set up a six-man tag between those six men. Balor got the hot tag and went on a hell of a run with Dunn until Missile drop kicking him into the referee. Cole ran down and pushed Balor off the top rope into the referee and then tagged O'Reilly with a bro kick before hitting a brutal brain buster onto the steel steps and running off. Strong was still helping the faces, but Balor felt someone behind him and hit Strong with a heel kick, not knowing it was his teammate. Balor was distracted uh, and Dunn caught him with the bitter end for the win. So long after this match was over, uh, Cole came back, blindsided Balor with a super kick as O'Reilly was still knocked out cold at ringside. Cole was still wearing Undisputed Era gear, the shirt, the, the sweatshirt, I think. I forgot what, exactly what he was wearing. Uh, he then grabbed the NXT title and raised it in the air as the show went off the air. I didn't really expect much of a definitive follow-up here, more of a continuation since there's no upcoming pay-per-view announced, no major show. So they don't, ha- they don't have at least announced a firm date that they're working towards. So I did expect this to be more of a in-between type of episode continuing this storyline. And I thought that's what they gave us. It was very good. It wasn't great, mostly because Cole seems to be back in the main event picture again. And uh, to me, that just feels really tired and stale. I know a lot of people are going to disagree. I like the guy a lot. He is a main eventer to me. Yes. Yes. But we just went through this, right? Like he was challenging for it against Balor in September. If you remember, they did the fatal four-way for the vacant title, and then they went one-on-one when Balor actually won the title. That was in September, after he had just held the title for 403 days into the summer of 2020. I think it was like July, where he lost it to Keith Lee. So do I really want Finn Balor and Adam Cole again? I kind of don't. I want other people to get these opportunities and just refresh things a little bit. I don't think it's the worst thing that Balor's here challenging, but it just feels kind of like a repeat to me where I want something a little bit more fresh. NXT, one of the good things about it is it cycles through. Now, yes, I know that Cole and Gargano had a long feud, and I know that Gargano and Ciampa had a long feud that was interrupted through injuries, but there are a lot of other people there now, and we were just getting through a period of time where Keith Lee was cycled in and carrying Cross would have been cycled in, and there's other people on that brand that can carry the title and can, can get involved I'd love to see a Finn Balor-Champa feud, for example. 
there's there's things like that that they can do. It just feels stale to be going back to the Adam Cole well if it is with Finn Balor. I'd rather this be a Cole-O'Reilly feud with Balor moving on. The booking I would personally make is a fatal four-way. Dunn, O'Reilly, Cole, and Balor with O'Reilly pinning Cole for the title. That sets up then a singles feud potentially with Cole. Maybe he even beats him a second time. And then Cross can challenge and Cross can win the title off of O'Reilly because you know that WWE wants to do that sooner than later. The other thing you could do is not change the title, have O'Reilly and Cole go do their thing and take LA Knight and just inject him into the main event. We'll talk about him later and why I'm not very bullish on him so far. But you want this fresh blood, these new faces, these new voices, and I just feel like possibly going Balor Cole, it's not really going to give you that. At least if it's a fatal four-way with Dunn and with O'Reilly, it would be a little bit fresh. So that's the direction I hope that they go. That said, the wrestling and the storytelling was consistently strong. It makes me want to tune in next week for further resolution, and that's ultimately the point here with NXT. Now, a couple of quick tangents coming off of this. Uh, Pat McAfee cut a video promo from a private jet during the show. It was great. The fact that he wants people to hashtag Pat was right uh, and that Cole's a scumbag. It's accurate, right? Pat ended up being right this entire time. So it's a great heel move to kind of come back after the fact and and kind of say, see, guys, I told you that this guy is an asshole, right? The entire time he is a scumbag. Uh, So McAfee has that. Uh, There was a bullshit report uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, that Pat wanted to continue working in WWE and NXT was holding him off for no good reason. That was a complete bullshit report. Uh, I listened to Paul Levesque on his conference call basically say that, look, Pat was really busy. He was working the Super Bowl. He was doing a lot of stuff for ESPN. Uh, He never really got to go on a honeymoon with his wife, so we gave him a break. And we're happy to have him back whenever he's ready. So this seems to be like Pat McAfee at least getting his face back on WWE TV, and I'm sure he'll be involved with NXT, but this guy's not a full-time superstar. So he's going to take multiple months off, is my assumption. I don't see why that's a problem or why that should lend people to report that he's on the outs with WWE. That doesn't make any sense. The other aside is after the show went off the air, NXT was really selling the injury angle for Kyle O'Reilly. Again, we'll remember, he got brogue kicked outside the ring, and then he got got hit a brain buster onto steel steps. So he's knocked out cold. They sold him being out cold through the entire end of the show, even when Cole came back and attacked Balor. He like checked and you saw O'Reilly still basically dead outside the ring. So some fans in attendance at NXT in the Capitol Wrestling Center saw him getting stretchered out of the arena, which was done in kayfabe. They were taping it probably to air an angle next week on TV or on social media to kind of say, hey, this is how bad Kyle O'Reilly got hurt. And a couple idiots in the crowd started tweeting that Kyle O'Reilly had a seizure. And this picked up steam. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, people are blaming WWE when it's revealed that he didn't actually suffer a seizure, which thank God, right? Uh, People start blaming WWE for doing a seizure angle. They didn't. They ran an injury angle, which uh, after TV went off the air, which has been done in professional wrestling through the entirety of its history. There was one time where Dean Ambrose, I think it was in WWE, stayed in the ring, flat on his back, motionless, until every person left the arena. So they do an an injury angle. Some idiots in the crowd decide to start posting on Twitter that it's a seizure. 
And then WWE gets criticized. WWE, there's a lot of things. If you want to criticize them, there's a lot of reasons you can criticize WWE. Running an injury angle, ain't one of them, folks. They did nothing wrong here. Uh, I just want to kind of nip that in the bud in case anyone is listening to the show after getting off social media and didn't see the resolution here that Ryan Satin basically reported on behalf of WWE. It's an injury angle. It's not a seizure angle. There was no intent of that. And people just ran with it and went crazy. So that's really going to tell WWE what it can and can't do in front of that Capitol Wrestling Center crowd going forward. Maybe they now have to pull back on post-show angles because they can't trust the limited fans in attendance to kind of get things right. And that would be unfortunate. Uh, Let's break down everything else from NXT. That was really the main storyline. Everything else kind of just came together. So we'll run it through in order. Uh, Santos Escobar pulled out of the carrying cross match that was scheduled for the show on a handheld video saying he will only do it on his terms. William Regal said the match will happen next week and Escobar will be suspended and stripped of his cruiserweight title if he doesn't show up. I was disappointed not to have the match. They were building for it. You would think something happened, either with travel or health. But there was a promo. The promo from Escobar was in the NXT parking lot. There was a promo later from Karrion Cross and Scarlett. And it looked like it was taped in NXT studios or somewhere in the area because it was very similar to ones they've done in the past. Which makes me wonder why this match was pulled if everyone was able to contribute to the show. Maybe it was a scenario where one of them had an injury and they wanted another week to make sure they were cleared to go, I guess. But I just found that to be really strange. It was a damn good promo too, Cross. I like Cross more as this Hitman character that he's been recently than the more demonic one that he debuted as. It's a lot more real and believable and it's something I can actually buy into. Keep the entrance, the entrance is great, but be this more of a Hitman character. That works for me. We got a tag team match between Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart and The Way. Johnny Gargano was great on commentary throughout. A white van pulled into the parking lot and distracted from the match. Gargano presumably grabbed Austin Theory from the van. Uh, His hands were tied. He was wearing vacation clothes. Indy Hartwell got distracted in the ring, folded over by Moon. I didn't think this was done well. The match was basically deemed irrelevant because they kept showing the van and kept focusing on Johnny Gargano going out there, taking away from the match itself. We didn't even see Gargano remove Theory from the van. So we don't see half of the match. And then we don't see the reason for the van being there and then pulling out Theory. I thought it was shoddy booking. It's really the first time they've done something wrong with the way, which I think is actually my favorite gimmick in all of wrestling right now. Yeah, Tribal Chief Roman Reigns, that's going really well. I like what's happening with Big E, some of the other stuff with Bianca Belair and Sasha and all that on SmackDown, it's pretty good. But in terms of a gimmick that I can sink my teeth into and just kind of sit back and enjoy, the way the dynamics with Johnny and Candice and Austin Theory and Indy Hartwell, it all works really well together. I happen to think this is the best gimmick going on right now. Uh, Kenny Omega, over in AEW and Hangman Page, those are pretty good also. But the way it just personally happens to be my favorite, they cut something for social media after NXT went off the air where Austin Theory didn't realize he had been kidnapped. He thought he was just on vacation for three days and they kind of treated him like a child, which is kind of part of this whole gimmick. 
It was really hysterical. I wish it was on television. It was better than anything they actually gave us from the way on TV. So that was unfortunate that it was only on social media. But if you're listening to this, you're a fan of NXT. So I I totally uh, suggest you go find it, seek it out, probably at WWE NXT on Twitter. You'll be able to see that segment. And it was really funny, but wasn't a fan of the match. Wasn't a fan of basically having three of the best women in your roster in a match and not really caring about it. So that's not, that's not going to work for me. Uh, Leon Ruff defeated Isaiah Swerve Scott. Swerve was clearly the aggressor. Ruff had a run with a springboard cutter and caught Swerve with a crucifix bomb pinning combination for the win. Swerve was trying to kick out, but couldn't. I really love that booking. I love when matches finish like that. It's always a lot of fun. After the match, Swerve kicked Ruff's ass and said he's tired of Ruff getting handed things while Swerve has to work really hard for them. Got a DM coming in from Eldred Ryan at Acme, A-K-M-E, Tunes. He said, seriously, what is NXT doing with Swerve? I know they're building a feud with Ruff, but Swerve deserves better. Yeah, you know, I agree. Um, There's no bigger fan of Swerve, I think, than me. He's been showing a lot of personality recently, but it feels like he's just kind of stuck in a rut not moving forward. Hopefully this is the start of something because he's someone who should firmly be in the North American title picture. He's too talented not to be used better than he's been using. But it basically feels like what they're doing with Swerve now is what they were doing in the Jake Atlas feud. But he never really progressed past it. Now he's doing the same thing, but with Leon Ruff. He's already a heel. So it wasn't really a heel turn for him to attack Ruff after the match when he's already a heel. So again, it just kind of feels like they're doing the same thing. This is a really talented dude. This is a dude, again, who should be competing for the mid-card title. He should be in featured matches and he should be winning matches. I can't think, I know I think he had a either a tag team title win with Jake Atlas or he ended up beating him in singles through cheating or something like that. But I can't think of a time that he had a legitimate good win. It seems like he's lost every major match or match of consequence along with most matches he's been in recently. Swerve's your dude. You gotta push him. This is one of those guys, your young talents that need to get put over. You know, you wanna move him now and get him going now. That way you can bring him up to the main roster at a relatively young age. You don't want him squandering time over an NXT. His podcast is on WWE Network at this point. Let's, you know, get behind Swerve. We had Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter defeat Aaliyah and Jesse Camia. The Casey's cut a pre-tape promo about Xia Li before the match. They were rolling in the ring when Boa appeared on stage. Casey hit a cannonball kick, and then they combined for a, it's like an assisted vertical splash for the win. I didn't love it. Uh, Casey is still green, but I really believe that this is a main roster tag team, you know, at some point soon. Xia Li and Boa walked down the ramp afterward. Casey tried to talk to her, but Xia marked her and said she will be purged, which means they're going to have a match next week. And I have to assume Xia Li is going to just kick her damn head off at that point. Casey can talk a bit. And this was pretty cool, all things considered. So this does get a thumbs up from me. MSK, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez were all celebrating their Dusty Rhodes Classic victories. MSK hit the ring first and set a title match for March 3rd against Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. Kai then came down with Gonzalez. And Kai started cutting a promo when all of a sudden, Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax made a surprise appearance. Kai and Baszler went right after each other, basically picking up where they left off. They used to feud in NXT for anyone who's a newer viewer. 
MSK and Beth Phoenix were all bunched up in one of the corners, literally hysterically eating popcorn. They stole the entire segment. They stole the entire show. It was incredible comedy. Uh, Jax showed some respect to Dusty Rhodes. And then Gonzalez dropped this absolute beauty to close out the segment. Be careful with what you say. Because I'm going to take that boot and shove it so far up your hole. Just a great line from Raquel Gonzalez and really smart use of them going, you know, back to the well. Well, not really the well, kind of going back to. But this was the segment of the night, either brand by a mile, not the match of the night, the segment of the night by a mile. True entertainment, true comedy. MSK uh, and Beth Phoenix in particular were great. I just loved this entire thing. They deserve a lot of credit. So here it is. Morning Woods is what Xavier calls it. Again, I need better like positive sounds. If anyone can think of historic wrestling sounds or um, even stuff from movies and TV shows that are exclamations of greatness, let me know. I'll add them to the soundboard. I need a little help. I have the big meaty men stuff. I got all the 0.0s. I need some more positive kind of sound drops because we try to be positive on this show. It's... That's really all I got. That's the positive stuff. So I need better positive stuff. You guys tweet me, DM me, help me out with that. Uh, they aired again the Cameron Grimes music video, and it turns out he crashed his new Lambo. NXT also showed uh, still photos of Tony Storm attacking Io Shirai during a photo shoot. So I guess she's going to be the challenger coming up next some point soon, um, maybe around WrestleMania time. Maybe they end up doing a TV special before then, I'm not sure exactly what NXT is going to do, but it does seem like Storm is going to remain in there as the challenger. Uh, Kushida defeated Tyler Rust in a singles match. Kushida cut a promo from the training room saying he's not done with Gargano. Bronson Reed said he's ready for a North American title shot, but respects Kushida. And if they have to fight for a number one contendership, they will. Then Malcolm Bivens popped in and made a match for Rust. He cut a strong promo later in the show. We need more of Bivens, even if it's beyond Rust. Give him a second dude. I don't know. Put more Malcolm Bivens, Stokely Hathaway, FKA, on my TV. This was a really good match. Kushida eventually got Rust in the hoverboard lock, and Bivens jumped onto the apron to quit for Rust in order to protect his investment. I kind of like that. Decent, different type of finish. LA Knight, as I mentioned before, cut a promo from his home, basically just popping himself. Uh, it was slightly more successful, I guess, than the one from TakeOver, but at least it was a little bit clearer. But look, I have to say it, 0 for 2 to start. It's early, plenty of runway for him to win me over and win over fans. But so far, we have to be honest on this podcast. Zero point zero. And then lastly, we saw Zoe Stark defeat Valentina Feroz. Stark dominated in her debut, hit a throw German suplex and finished with a flip GTS kind of move that was pretty cool. So solid start for her in singles competition. She was part of the women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, but they lost in the first round and didn't really matter. So that was NXT. Uh, it was a strong show, you know, certainly not one of their best shows so far in 2021, but we got a lot of build in this main event storyline, as I mentioned. 
Disappointed not to see Escobar and Karrion Cross this week, but good to know that we're going to get it next week. And in two weeks, they've basically already scheduled two tag team title matches, one for the men with MSK and one for the women with Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. I don't think we're going to see two title changes, and we'll certainly preview that on next week's show as we wait. I don't think we're going to see two title changes, but if I was booking, I would set two title changes. And I would have Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez be the ones who end up defending against Naomi and Lana and defending up at the main roster. Have them go back and forth. That way people on Raw and SmackDown can see them and see the women's tag team titles and you get some friction going on and some interesting stuff happening rather than having Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler simply retain and then go into the feud with Naomi and then maybe fight Bianca and Sasha for no reason and still not fight Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke or the Riot Squad. So if it's me, I change the titles, I put them in NXT. There are plenty of women's tag teams in NXT that deserve title shots and would make for some really cool, interesting booking. As far as next week goes, I really just don't see um, Escobar beating Karrion Cross in any way. It's not a title match anyway. I do think it'll happen despite the storyline. I just assume Cross is going to go over Santos Escobar. I just hope it's a strong, you know, 18 to 20 minute match. That way Escobar looks good and doesn't get squashed. That would be the absolute worst case scenario. Now, moving on to AEW Dynamite. This show for me had two different main events that I'm going to talk about. We'll hit those and then we will kind of roll in and talk about everything else in order. The main event, number one, is the main event of the show itself. John Moxley, Ray Phoenix, and Lance Archer against Eddie Kingston, Butcher, and The Blade. Mox and Kingston both cut really strong pre-match promos as we have come to expect from them. Mox called out Omega and said he was aiming for a rematch as soon as possible. As far as the match goes, Phoenix got the hot tag and predictably went wild with insane kicks, springboards, a great frog splash on Butcher after kind of summoning Eddie Guerrero with the chest shake. Archer chokeslammed Phoenix outside the ring into a corkscrew and then hit a cannonball sent on himself off the ring apron. Just silly good stuff. Kingston drilled Mox with a spinning back fist pretty hard right into the face, but Mox then turned around, easily beat Kingston with a paradigm shift, which I just felt was a little bit unnecessary when two other guys in the match could have taken the fall from him and Kingston's been beaten by Mox now three times. I just didn't really feel like that was necessary. After the match, the Good Brothers attacked Mox as Omega moseyed his way down to the ring, talked trash, and explained there was a rematch clause in their last contract. They will do it again at Revolution, but it will be an exploding barbed wire death match. Omega ate a headbutt and then hit Mox with two V-triggers. I don't even really know what to say to this. I mean, I'm insanely excited, but I'm also remembering how absurd and over the top their last hardcore match was. I'm going to stay really positive about this and enter this with the assumption that AEW has learned a lot of lessons from that match. It's just a crazy booking and not something I ever expected them to do. But what I wonder is, how was their other match and prior hardcore matches in AEW unsanctioned? But this is going to be a sanctioned exploding barbed wire death match for the title in the main event of a pay-per-view. So some of those machinations don't really work for me, but this is going to be wild. Omega Moxley in this type of match is crazy. I don't know what to expect. I have seen some of these going back 
a long time. I used to not, I didn't tape trade like where I went back and forth like people did back in the day, but I had a newsletter, a wrestling newsletter when I was much younger uh, in high school. And I used to trade advertising for tapes. So I've seen Japanese exploding barbed wire death matches. Uh, I just can't imagine this happening in America. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, how far they go. I'm excited about it. This is a great hook to get people to buy the pay-per-view. And we're just gonna have to wait and see. I'm gonna stay really positive about it, but I do have concerns, as you've already heard. Uh, Tag team championship was on the line. The Young Bucks defending against Santana and Ortiz. I was looking forward to this the most of any match across both shows. The energy was surprisingly low throughout the entire match from the crowd and maybe even a little bit from the performers. It was actually shocking and a bit weird to me. Rich Knox ejected the entire inner circle early. The teams did a really good job making tags and keeping the rules despite the referee who was on a patrol here. So credit to the tag teams for doing that. That's always a pet peeve of mine. Santana hit a ridiculous avalanche falcon arrow for a near fall. The Bucks came back with a doomsday device and a double super kick for a broken fall. Santana and Ortiz almost won with Street Sweeper, then powerbombed Matt Jackson into the crowd, but Nick Jackson caught Ortiz celebrating early with a roll-up for the win. Ortiz sat in the middle of the ring like catatonic uh, that he screwed up to such a big, you know, end. I loved that reaction from him, just him kind of not wanting to get in on the attack, not being pissed off, just amazed at how bad he screwed up. That's different. It's unique. It's really, really cool. Inner Circle ran back in to attack the Bucks, but Don Callis wouldn't let Kenny Omega go out uh, as only Brandon Cutler eventually did. When it was too late, the Good Brothers finally came down for the save. I don't love roll-ups. You guys know that. But Ortiz sold it so well that it worked as long as they capitalize on it with a promo about them screwing up, their first real opportunity at the tag team titles, or their inability to just kind of reach the peak in AEW, whatever the case is, they need to follow up on that because it was so strong what Ortiz did in that moment. This just felt like a much smaller deal as a match than it should have given the talent of these tag teams. It did not live up to expectations by any means, but it was still quite good. So that's kind of a tough way to explain it. I'm still of the belief, and I've said this numerous times on this podcast, that Santana and Ortiz are the one AEW signing that truly would have been better off going to WWE. I know the tag team division in WWE is not strong. They would have immediately jumped in as title contenders and one of the most over teams in the entire company. I know, you know, hindsight's always 20-20. I'm sure they're both very happy in AEW. They're just that one team for me that through the entirety of AEW's existence, I feel is not being utilized properly. Maybe they will be soon before 2021 is out. I hope that's the case. But to this point, it has been pretty disappointing. Early in the show, Chris Jericho called out MGF for obviously goading Sammy Guevara into quitting Inner Circle. He said MGF was to blame, but Sammy was most at fault for quitting and was now dead to him. It was extremely entertaining stuff from both of them in that kind of promo segment backstage. Also in the show, I mentioned Kenny Omega in a couple spots here. Omega uh, sat down to read the Young Bucks book to some little kids in like a classroom. Don Callis pulled him from it after only a couple of minutes and the kids beat up Michael Nakazawa. The kids were the best part of the entire thing. They were asking funny questions. Omega kind of reminded me, I don't know if you guys watch The Boys on Amazon Prime, but he kind of reminds me of like Homelander now. 
where he's supposed to be the hero, but he's a complete asshole and, and even worse than that, uh, jackass in the background. Now, Homelander has some other problems, but we're not going to get into. It's a very adult show, um, but it's a similar type of character that I feel like Kenny Omega is giving off right now. Omega also, they left the classroom and they left the AEW title behind on a chair. That I thought that was strange. The, the segment was kind of fun. It was a little bit sloppy. Not their best. They could have done it better, but it was something different and I always appreciate that. Now let's roll on with the rest of the show. Hangman Page and Matt Hardy defeated TH2 in the opening match. Hangman hit a double buckshot lariat. Hardy came in with a twist of fate for the win. Hangman told Hardy about signing a different contract at the bar. The Jaguars mascot came out to deliver it and it ends up being four match at Revolution with Hangman getting Hardy's first quarter 2021 earnings if he wins. Hardy convinced Hangman to put his first quarter earnings on the line in a money match. And Hangman did so for absolutely no logical reason whatsoever, considering the contract had already been executed. Then it turns out Isaiah Cassidy was in the mascot costume, so he attacks Hangman. I was thinking in the moment, but Hardy was blindsided by the contract, so how would he have known to set that up? But it turns out Hardy at least explained on Twitter that he did know about it, and he was aware that Hangman switched it, so he was prepared for the attack afterward. Uh, then Hardy paid TH2 to beat up Hangman. All of Dark Order came out to make the save. The general booking here with Dark Order coming to Hangman's aid was really good. I think the logic of him being willing to give up his 2021 earnings or his first quarter earnings was horrendous. But other than that, this is good and it does work an angle where it kind of pushes Hangman towards Dark Order. And you do wonder if maybe he ultimately joins them now. Maybe there's some plans that change, unfortunately, following the death of Brody Lee, or maybe these were the plans all along. But it is curious. I didn't think this was a very good match, but the segment was okay. And it got me intrigued because I am a Hangman Page fan. Uh, they ran the AEW Women's Eliminator, Rio against Serena Deeb. It is truly pathetic the way AEW is doing this tournament. The Japanese side being on YouTube is fine. It's not in America. They're taping it elsewhere. The quality is totally different. It's a lot of wrestlers people don't know. You want to put that on YouTube? Totally fine. But to put the American side matches with big name wrestlers in the company on YouTube because God forbid AEW put two women's matches on a single Dynamite episode is just ridiculous. Zero point zero. I'm going to go through and we'll talk about it a little bit later. I'm going to talk about this match right now because I love this match. I'm going to go through and talk about the other matches that were on this show. Either of the remaining women's matches on the American side would have been a better booking for Wednesday's Dynamite than the other matches that we actually got on the show. It's, a, it's the truth. And that is the biggest problem in AEW. The fact that they don't even notice that because they don't care about the women's wrestlers. But on to the match. It happened in the third quarter hour, which was a great surprise and really nice for a change. And they gave them a long time to wrestle. Very, very good. Rio's back after 11 months and she totally delivered. She had a 619. Serena Deeb came back with a powerbomb and a stretch muffler. Rio hit a coup de grace for another near fall, and they alternated pinning combinations until Rio eventually caught Deeb for the win. This was a top two AEW women's match of all time. It may have been the best. I think it's my favorite. It was definitely the match of the night on AEW and across both shows. I like the six-man tag main event, but this match, one-on-one, -on -one, 
totally delivered. It was great stuff. It seems like Rio now should probably get an NWA title shot considering she just beat the champion clean. So I hope they do that. So you ask, why do I want more women's wrestling in AEW? Because the women's matches that are remaining include Britt Baker and Nyla Rose, who are two of the four or five biggest women in the entire company in terms of people that they've pushed and have been on TV. And they're both fighting either Dark Order members or women associated with Dark Order, Anna and Ty Conchi. So if seeing as these people are all known, they're all TV talent, it makes no sense to just relegate them to YouTube when you could have put them on TV over Orange Cassidy against Luther. That's what I'm saying. Orange Cassidy against Luther. All the wrestlers AEW has at its, at its disposal and they're putting Luther on television. Orange Cassidy at the Orange Punts for the win. That's it. That's all that happened. Uh, Jade Cargill and Shaq were shown training by shooting hoops in a gym. This was their training montage for a wrestling match on March 3rd. Seriously, what the hell are we doing here? It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. Sting calls out Team Taz. That was next. Only Taz, Brian Cage, and Hook were there as the other guys were unable to travel due to snow. Uh, Sting came out with his bat and walked to the ring. By the way, I should mention, this was promoted as a talking segment where Sting was going to call out Team Taz. He said zero words in the entire segment. Uh, Taz said Sting uses his bat as a crutch, so Sting just threw it away. He then picks a fight with the largest man there, Cage, and moments later, literally moments later, eats a powerbomb. So... Eric at Ribsauce tweeted during the show to say, I had to pause all slander for one week because this segment was so good. This was marginally better because Sting got physical and that's good. Like it's good to see him get physical, know that he can take a bump. It was a strong power bomb. That's positive. But really this is the exact same thing as it is every single week. Team Taz was scared of this 60 year old man because he has a bat. He gets rid of the bat, then they're willing to fight and Sting just eats a powerbomb. It's the same, one person's in the ring, they call the other one out, that person either appears on a video screen or walks out. Generally, no physicality has happened previously. This time, physicality happened and Sting took a bump and I give him credit for that. Like, it was a little bit different and it was a little bit better, but they don't get a reprieve from basically doing the same thing now seven weeks in a row. I'm sorry, this shit is just not good. It's just not, like... You can't criticize WWE in one breath for having Riddle fight a member of the Hurt Business every week where he's actually wrestling and entertaining with in-ring work and then doing this in AEW with Sting where almost nothing physical happens. The guy takes one powerbomb and now it's, okay, it's suddenly good. It's not good. It's shit. It's garbage. I want this thing to happen. I want it to then go away and I'm okay with Sting being in AEW but they gotta do something else. This just doesn't work for me and I'm not gonna lay off until it's better. I hope the match is good. In fact, I believe the match is gonna be great on Revolution. I'm extremely bullish about it. Why? Because it's Darby Allen who's great. It's Sting who's great. I think the wrestlers in it are Cage and Ricky Starks, both great. It's gonna be cinematic pre-taped, I assume. That's great. So there's no reason it's gonna be bad. But the lead up, booking it this long, not taking a single week off 
where you just don't promote Sting, who ultimately doesn't deliver when you see him on, on screen. It's really tiresome and I'm just done. And the fact that we have two more weeks to wait until this, it's just gonna drive me crazy. So hopefully things get better the next two weeks and different stuff happens, but two months of the same booking every single week, basically, the basic tenets of the booking, no, that's not good booking. It's just not, this isn't good. The Jade Cargill and Shaq stuff isn't good. They're trying to use big names and get people to watch. I respect and appreciate that. I don't think there's anything wrong. They're not doing it well. This is very simple. Uh, Brandy Rhodes appeared on a video claiming that Cody didn't know the gender of their baby, but they would do a gender reveal live on screen. Brandy was showing, uh, meaning her, her stomach, and looked great. Uh, it's a girl. I will hold my comments about this and instead read a direct message I received. Uh, Mick Foley's missing teeth at MFMT 1982. Could you imagine if Stephanie and Triple H pulled what Cody and Brandy did, people would have lost it. Indeed, that is exactly true. And the final match here, FTR defeated Matt and Mike Slidell. Matt did a flip out of a German suplex from Dax Hardwood off the middle rope. That was pretty cool. Uh, FTR won with the big rig. They went to cut Mike's hair when the lights went out and Jurassic Express appeared behind them with Luchasaurus and a new mask. Are they really going lights out for Jurassic Express? Are they a supernatural team where they deserve that? That was weird. That was a little too campy for me. Didn't really love it. There's been parts of this feud I like, uh, including the Jungle Boy match with Dax Harwood. That was great. Some of this stuff, cutting off the horns of a, cutting off the horns of a, of a rubber mask for a dinosaur. I don't know. That's really not going to get me juiced. It's just, it's not. So it's, this was an interesting episode of AEW because there was a lot of really good stuff. Like the main event was strong. That storyline I liked a lot. The Eliminator match, like I said, Rio and Serena Deeb was the best match Wednesday night across both shows. Four, hour of rest, four hours of wrestling. The AEW women's match was the best one. And yet they won't give us a second one. So there's some positive stuff. The stuff with Hangman was good as well. But really a large part of AEW, I would say half, 50%. Man, it just wasn't strong. And, and if you think my criticisms are unfair and you just love that product, it's fine. But I come on this show frequently and praise AEW. I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I was all about it. In fact, I think it was both of the last two weeks I've been all about AEW. But this week was rough. And when you look ahead to next week's card, it's really not strong from a wrestling match standpoint. So maybe the storytelling will be good. That's happened before where AEW's matches that they promote aren't strong but the storytelling in between is, is exceptional. So I could see that happening next week if that's the case. Great. If not, it does seem like next week might be a down week, taking us to March 3rd, which will be the go-home show for AEW Revolution, their first pay-per-view of 2021. And that is looking like it's gonna be an absolutely incredible card. So a mixed bag from AEW. NXT, I'd say a little bit stronger. You know, if AEW was 50-50, NXT was probably you know, 65-35, something like that, maybe 70-30 on Wednesday night. So a slight win in the critical category for NXT, but another good Wednesday night of professional wrestling action. Now, as far as what's coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we're gonna have to see what happens Friday night on SmackDown. We already ran our WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview on Tuesday's episode, but there was only really 
3.5 matches officially announced at that time. And even so far in this week, WWE has not come out and announced any more. Nothing about the Intercontinental title, the women's tag team titles, or either of the women's championships. There's just really nothing else on the pay-per-view right now. So depending on what happens Friday night on SmackDown, depends whether the Silver King will be back Friday night with a bonus preview for Elimination Chamber. If enough happens, whether it's storyline-wise or whether it's match booking, I will come back and do a second episode. If they only book the matches that I already assumed they would on the Ultimate Preview, then we're just going to let that one stand. I definitely hope you all listen to that. And a reminder, no matter what happens Friday, we will be back Sunday night as soon as Elimination Chamber is off the air with instant analysis of WWE's latest pay-per-view. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That way you can get our episode drops, you can talk wrestling with us, and you can participate in our pre- and post-show polls for all pay-per-views. Also, do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this damn show. That's it for today. I appreciate all of you listening to me once again. We'll be back on Friday or Sunday. It remains to be seen, but we will be back before the week is out. So with that, the Silver King is going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.